IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. We share the lessons learned from global leaders making an impact for their organizations, stakeholders, and investors. For people, community, and environment, we get inspired by their experiences, attitudes, and practices. Here are your hosts for IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. As a leader, are you adapting and reflecting and transforming in alignment with your organization and your people, but more importantly, with rapid evolving technology and the sustainable development goals that we all are supporting for the humanity and the planet? That's what we're focused on today on our program with our guest, Marisa Zalabak. Marisa, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure. I love the show. Well, thanks so much. And Kirsten, this idea that emerging leaders have to deal with a completely different emerging future, that's been the subject of many of our interviews, and, and it's a subject close to your heart. It is in, in so many ways. And, you know, our previous guest talked about this as being a multi-trillion dollar market, what's emerging. Like that number just left me like, how do I even get like an infinitesimal amount of that market share? But we're here, right? <laughs> Just all kidding aside. But you're right. This is our emerging leaders have a need for completely different skills. Well, our guest, Marisa Zalabak, is the head of an organization called Open Channel Culture. And she partners with businesses and schools and healthcare organizations to support what you call adaptive leaders. Yes. Tell us about that. Well, adaptive leadership is, uh, there's actually a structure for it. I mean, I had been using the term even before I, I knew the term, but there is a term. It was originated uh, in the kind of lexicon by Ron Heifetz and Marty Linsky at Harvard Kennedy School of Business. And adaptive leadership has four main pillars and then many things that go beyond that in terms of problem solving. But the four pillars of adaptive leadership our adaptive leaders are adept at emotional intelligence. They focus on organizational justice, which goes with the SDGs, right? There is an, a commitment to modeling lifelong learning. And the fourth pillar is about character, but rather than leaders having a set batch of characteristics, right, that make you successful, it's the ability to adapt and adjust which character strengths do I need right now in this situation? And which of the character strengths of the people that I'm leading and working with, how, are we, how am I optimizing that as well? And then it goes beyond that to problem solving of either technical problems or adaptive problems. And technical problems are things that we know a solution for, right? There's a technical answer for it. And then there are adaptive problems where we don't know the solution. Then there's there's in between where we kind of have, but you know, there's an amalgam. But in the meantime, it really focuses on a different way of operating within an organization and systems thinking, design systems thinking. Mm -hmm. It's so good to have those frameworks. And I, I think I read in one of your uh, pieces that this idea of, you know, leaders used to react. We react to the past, react to change, react to the situation, react to changes in their stock price for sure sometimes. What's the difference in new leadership being more present to what's happening now and, and looking to the future instead of just reacting? 
Great question. And I also think this is something, this is where, you know, I think um, it's always been a, I can't call it a point of contention. It always kind of makes me smile in a way uh, at the same time sad that it's continued to call human skills, soft skills mm-hmm. business. And Mark just said that. <laughs> right? It literally so, just said that. Right, soft skills. And the reality is when you're talking about reactivity, one, you know, developing the ability to be, there, there are three real skill sets, I'll call them, is awareness, adaptability, and agility. And when we are aware of our emotions and our, and not just our emotions, our ways of thinking, our ways of feeling, right? Physically feeling because our neurological system affects all of our reactions. Um, So if the more aware we get at that, the more we can choose which direction to take, right? So now we can self-regulate and then we can be more agile. I can say, okay, I was in this situation right now. How am I going to leap over this obstacle with whatever skills that I have, right? So it's, it's, a, it's really, they become, navig- to me, they become navigational tools. Uh, dealing with, you know, if we were out in the water, right? If we we're in a boat and we're out in the water, we don't know what's coming. How aware are we? How adaptable are we and how agile are we? Mm. It's interesting because I, I believe that COVID truly exposed the leadership styles that did not have those pillars in place, right? They just, uh, many, many leaders were simply not prepared for a global tsunami that left their employees at home. I mean, we're facing it right now with our global supply chains. People are not knowing how to adapt to that, right? The technology markets are being pummeled because they just can't deliver to their customers. What have you seen in the last two years that's really beginning to point to how these applied right there. I call that applied wisdom in my teachings, right? We, we Mm -hmm. know information, we train, we train, we train, but then the moment comes when you actually have to live it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's that applied wisdom. What do you see is changing based on these four pillars in the marketplace? I think that we're seeing the, the leaders who are emerging, the leaders who are navigating through these changes are people who have those applied, I love that you use the term applied, I love that word, applied practices, right? Because these are applied practices. Have we become, you know, one of the things I talked about in that TED talk is, have we practiced it enough that I can use it in an emergency, right? If I practice, if I, so if I, if, I, if I practice shooting hoops enough, during a really tough game, I'm going to be able to hit that shot or I have I a better you're using basketball because I exactly. love basketball analogies. Or, I do. Or, right. Or I have a better chance at it. Right? right. If I've done my scales on my piano, I have a better chance during that recital or that concert to hit the notes when something goes askew, when something goes off, when something is unpredictable. And I think those that application. Right. Because people talk about theory a lot right? They talk about leadership in theory or actions in theory. But when you really have those practices and you know how to apply those in education, they call it novel application, right? You're applying something, you know, in a novel way to something new, Mm -hmm. right? That's kind it's one of the gold standards of pedagogy. Can I, can I apply this learning to something that's really brand new? Yeah. 
Okay. I, I, I don't know if that answered your question. It does. And I'll just, I'm going to give an example because this, uh, this really always made me laugh, right? So I was in the Arco Towers in LA in, with, for a telecommunications company during 9 11. Mm-hmm. You know how we do those fire drills in corporations? We do the fire, and there's always the one chosen floor warden, blah, 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 right? Well, when push comes to shove and the fire is really on, it's really funny who runs out of the building and who doesn't, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And it it just, it, it's instinctual, right? But to your point, and I, Michael Beckwith always says, you know, practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent, yes. right? So it, become, it enables us to let that be who we are. Right, I mean, it's one of the things, my background, my original background was in the arts. Mm-hmm. And although people keep talking, you know, very often talk about the arts being people who are flaky, I don't know of a more of more, more disciplined p- people on the planet, right? Because you've practiced, practiced, practiced. Actually, my, the title of my TED Talk is Fire Drills for Flourishing. <laughs> so I... There you go. Yeah, I love the there combination. There you go. <laughs> well, uh, and listeners, we're about to throw another layer on, uh, another log on this fire, that's for sure. Marisa, in addition to your work on this idea of uh, emotional intelligence, you've added this special emphasis on the digital age, mm. you know, how we can be more humanistic in the era of data science, you know, AI, uh, and so forth. Help us understand the different needs, the different awareness that we need to add on to an otherwise generic term like emotional intelligence. Yeah, and I'm so I'm so happy that you asked because this is a, my new, uh, it's a newer passion for me. I, I was not a tech person at all. I became involved in AI through AI ethics. And that is now really the area that I'm becoming much more involved in. I'm the, I'm the, I'm one of the co-chairs now of um, an education committee with IEEE, which is the largest engineering organization in the world. And there are a couple of us who are not engineers, uh, who have been studying, right, to catch up somewhat with what we, what we need to be catching up with to be speak the language and to understand. But we're really talking about ethics questions. So when we begin to develop these technologies, technologies are not new. We've had technologies since, you know, since human beings used levers to, to move rocks, right? But these advanced technologies begin to uh, skirt the, an area of taking agency from human action on a daily basis. They, there's a lot of fear. There's a huge amount of fear. And I think some of it is rightly, is, is, is correct to really be concerned about, especially the ethical issues, right? What, what privacies are we giving away? What autonomies are we giving away? Simultaneously, we need to be, everyone, my goal eventually, right now we're starting in a, in a, you know, in a controlled way, looking at engineers first, because most people would think AI engineers have had ethics education. They have not. They have not. And so we were beginning with really be increasing AI ethics education access to engineering students, then to also people who are developing AI who are not in colleges, right? We've got startups all over the place who are developing AI. And then eventually to younger grade, to, to, you know, to children, to, and to everyone in the world, because we all are using AI. Mm-hmm. We're all involved with AI. To me, I think to go back to your original 
question. To me, I came through this from the perspective of, I wanna be able to be a partner with this, right? I don't wanna think of it, I, I was terrified of it. And then I began, I, I was invited into some meetings about AI for social good. And I was exposed to some things that were quite astounding. I mean, things like the crisis hotline, the crisis hotline has saved thousands and thousands and thousands of young people's lives. And it's an AI system and it combines, it partners with mental health. It combines mental health with aut automated systems that help triage to get people who are most in need help, right? There's, there's something, um, there's a, an AI system that has been used to reduce human trafficking. So how can we begin, how can we use those amazing technologies? And then also be aware of, you know, there are some people who are interested in using the technology, you know, for power. Uh, other than social good. Right, other right. than social good. <laughs> well, so, you know, I, I, would yeah, go ahead. I, I would like to speak to that because I've spent my life in technology and telecommunication. So I, I don't come from the place of fear with tech. I mean, it's here. It, whether we like it or not, it's here. AI is, it's not even the future, it's a now. But what I find fascinating is the bridge in ethics into AI, which I think that's the key because imagine if our government officials had ethics training <laughs> or our social leaders had ethics training or our investment bankers had ethics training or our shareholders, right? I, I think we're speaking more to a social consciousness. AI is the intuitive output of the programming of social consciousness. So my question to you is beyond the engineers, because I don't think it's the technology that's frightening. I think it's the people running the technology that's frightening, but we're already a part of that frightening output, mm -hmm. right? I don't know, but to me, I don't trust anybody saying anything anymore. So how do you take that discipline beyond AI and really begin to apply it to the government official. I mean, it's much bigger than the that's engineer. well. That is, yeah. And I love the question, and thank you because this is really the this is the goal of the committee is to really be bringing in, making it very clear that we all need to understand the basics of ethics. Mm -hmm. We all need to be understand. I mean, I love that your show is called Intelligy, right? You know, the the, the we just need to understand the basics of philosophy. Because that's where ethics come from, right? It's philo philosophical uh, yeah, questions. Yeah, I'm going through the class right now. <laughs> right, so philosophical questions. But right. That we, that we, this is where government agencies, I mean, this is, UNESCO is working on it. Other governments are beginning to work on it, but it's, it's not fast enough, right? So what we need to do is really see how we can power and expand this education as quickly as possible. And that means the head of, you know, the head, you know this, the head of companies will, and their telecommunications companies will say, I have the IT people on that. Right. <laughs> but, they <Yes>. don't, <laughs> but they don't understand it themselves. Right. And the, the part of the, and I have to, to be fair to them, part of the problem has been, oh, that's, a, that's for the experts. And the thing is, 
as Einstein said, you know, if you don't understand, I think it was Einstein. It's like, if you don't understand it, if you can't explain it, you don't understand it. Right, exactly. Right. We can explain these things in ways that people can understand. It's the same thing as the disclaimer issues, right? We all press those disclaimers on every piece of technology we have. Agreed. (laughs) Agreed. There's no reason. There's actually no reason that we all, that it has to be that complicated. That's by design and for data collection. And then when we begin to ask these questions and not just engineers and not just government officials, but when consumers begin to ask these questions, when business leaders begin to ask these questions, right? That's really when this, because I think that's really becomes ethics education as a way of life, Kirsten, I think, you know, ultimately. Well, Marisa, if we can, to bring it out of the boardroom for a second, you've been in the committee rooms, you're on these panels, you know, and you say, okay, we've been whiteboarding it and we've been looking at the papers and the issues. Where, where can an IntelliKey leader like our listeners draw some practical application of saying, you know, when faced with some of these dilemmas or faced with some of these issues, what can we do? How should we confront these? Well, mostly it's, it's by really delving into some of the edges and begin reading the things. What are the recommendations? And one of my favorite phrases uh, when I, cause I was on the committee that released the most recent recommendations for design of AI related to human well-being. It's called P7010 with IEEE. One of my favorite phrases that I learned was intended and unintended users. There was a recent, there was actually a recent case where there was an, uh, a, a virtual reality game that was made and the beta tester ended up being sexually attacked really in the game because it hadn't been, that nobody had checked this through. Nobody had, had really checked it out. And the worst part, well, all, the worst part was that, that she was attacked, that the additional damage was that two people who were playing the game with her witnessed it Mm -hmm. intended and unintended users right so we have when we begin to ask i think when we begin to take it out of it's not just the the boardroom it's not just the project room are we thinking about this every day are you thinking about it when you go home and you turn the alexa on because if you still have that alexa on and the default is on there's surveillance on you all the time. That's just real. And so, and that data is being collected and you don't know who has permission to share that data. And so those I think are to me, and that may not be answering your question, I'm not sure, but I think those are the ways to me, we begin to say to people, we all have to pay attention. And this is on a daily basis in everything that we begin to do. And it's not to make people paranoid, it's to say, are we paying attention? to what well, we were using. But you've, you've brought a different light to me anyway, of the word consciousness. You know, are you conscious of the decision you're making, mm-hmm. you know, in the design and the development and the uh, implementation of whatever technology and digital uh, product you're making? You know, if you're truly conscious, well, then now you're a conscious leader. But if you're just saying this is the way the game is played, then you're not that conscious. And are you considering all of the stakeholders? Yes, so if yes. we're going to talk about things like sustainability in the SDGs or B Corps, and you're saying that 
all stakeholders well-being is top of mind because that's in B Corps and in right in any of the caring economy or SDGs that's supposed to be right top of mind is people and planet if that's really top of mind are we thinking about all of the consequences intended and unintended because it's not about pointing finger and blame it's saying we didn't man we thought of this cool thing and they are cool things <laughs> but those are also you know they're referred to in science i'm sorry i live in the east village i, I love it i feel like i'm home i like uh, my place uh, so but these i used to have an office literally down upstairs from a fire station so um, these <laughs> these are like sounds bringing me home there you go so but this you know this idea in uh, in regenerative businesses it's referred to as wicked problems right we solve one problem and that problem unfolds three other right we solve right. that problem but that unfolds three other right. things and that's just right. part of problem solving um and it's going to become more a an aspect of problem solving as we go into the future because we're talking about things that are developing at a speed that is faster than our cognitive mm -hmm. speed at the moment, mm -hmm. right? And we have, there's something called cognitive, I'm an educational psychologist by training, and there's something called cognitive workload, like how much, not like, but how much can my, my psyche, right? And because our brains are more than our mind, our minds are more than just our brain. How can my whole psyche adapt to this much change this quickly? And sometimes we have to slow ourselves down while all of the speed is happening. But being as conscious as we can, I love that you use the word, it's as being as conscious as we can. And we're gonna, and, and, and having grace with ourselves, I think, that we're going to make mistakes, right? So, I, so you know, yeah. Well, you know. and you've been using uh, some of these terms. We've been talking about things like safety and ethics and judgment. But on the other side of your work, you're also trying to cultivate joy and purpose and curiosity and fulfillment. Why don't we lighten the room for a second? Tell us about that. <laughs> well, I do. I, I think of those as I actually also think of all of those things. I think that they're mutually exclusive. I think that these are all handmaids. Um, I, you know, I, I think life is filled with opposites. And we have a chance and choice at, at each moment in life. Right? I mean, we know this from Viktor Frankl, right? We know this from people who have faced just extraordinary uh, hardship. We have choices. And, um, and I think for me, I'm, I call myself a dedicated optimist. I have a 22-year-old daughter. I work with, I have worked with thousands of students in schools. I worked in education for many, many years. I, I, you know, I want future generations to live and to laugh and to have a good life. So, you know, the seriousness, I think equal, and thank you for asking, because I think the seriousness with which I take these decisions and the, that kind of learning is actually fueled by my real desire to see creativity and joy, because creative uh, intelligence is actually the, another area that I have done a huge amount of research in. And I, I think it's just, I think it's untapped. I think it's undervalued and untapped. Can you imagine if, if people said, you know, we said, oh, I'm going to work today, I'm so happy. <laughs> but, right? What, what that, to me, 
that's to me that's a that's sustainable development right right and you know we're bridging the conversation of consciousness equals conscious right and being a conscious consumer being aware right i I was driven i was thinking about the market crash right i think it was 2009 people were just signing mortgages unaware of the outcome but they were just in an unconscious state of being but as you're talking about this bridge of even driving the the other side, the balanced scale, right? We know we're at, you know, we have this moment in time where we have to address certain areas. And then simultaneously, we have to elevate our higher consciousness. And we know vibrationally, joy, peace, love vibrates at the highest possible level there is that naturally uplifts people. How do you bridge those? So in, in particular, I mean, let's look at the technology space, right? Because that's a very heady space. Anybody who knows designers, but you spoke to something. I just I want to add this in, see how we can, because the IntelliKey leadership under the curriculum I've written requires that people learn how to create and innovate, right? Mm-hmm. And have that distinction because it's a lost art within society to create and innovate. How does that apply to your teachings that you're doing? Well, I think that all of the work that I, I believe in and that I teach is really, uh, again, it's, dri- if it's driven by, a, I mean, my original training and my original work, which was in the arts. And I think um, I have found along the way leaders who use those and incorporate those. So for example, and what, what just came to mind as you were talking, Kristen, was Otto Scharmer. Uh, so I ended up, I don't know if you know Otto Scharmer's work at MIT. He's amazing, uh, beautiful human, beautiful person. Um, and I, I ended up taking a course uh, called In the Presencing Institute which is for emerging leaders and it's, and it combines, and I loved it because it had so many of the things that you talk about on your show, both of you that you talk about on your show, which is combining head, heart, and hand. Mm. And that head, heart, and hand, right? Cause you talk, you, you also have a lot that's on yours about, you know, accessing the soul, mm-hmm. right? That this, this idea of spirituality being part of our can be, sh- should not be mutually exclusive right, of our, because that's where our creative self comes from. I mean, people, aspiration, creativity, all those words actually come from the source of those words, the roots of those words. Love it. Yes. Right. And so this idea, you know, one of the beautiful things about Sharma, and it's not just Sharma, Pierre Sange and other people who are involved in creating, it's something called ULAB at Presencing Institute, which is beautiful, is really uh, inviting in and saying to people, and I'm seeing it, I'm seeing leaders go, that sounds so good to me. I've had heads of banks say, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because they want to feel connected. They, who doesn't want to feel, right? If we talk about Maslow, right? We talk about eventually realization of the soul that that's what we're all trying to do as human beings is eventually become self-realized. And I think that the more we incorporate that, I think this crisis right now is an opportunity for that 
is it the it's the Leonard Cohen right that the the cracks are where the light gets in yes mm -hmm. yes I think that's from a roomie I think it's originally from a roomie but it's but it well we all borrow from each other I was gonna say <laughs> right. Leonard Cohen quotes roomie I don't know if roomie ever quoted Leonard Cohen but no, exactly <laughs> but the but the uh this idea that I think that these we're at this precipice and we're in there we're, we're seeing all of these foundations crack open and I think that that's where though that is beginning it has an opportunity to begin coming in and I'm hearing it and reading it more and more and more um there's a the, there's a course with MIT that's spectacular for this. Uh, uh, it, it's part, it's attached to the Presencing Institute, but there there is I'm seeing this in we're seeing this in the like the CO twenty six conference that just happened. We're even seeing that you know when John Elkington and Paul Pullman and people are coming to present and they're talking about the human humane responsibility that we have to leave a legacy, right? What is the legacy we're leaving? Um, and talking about caring economies and these kinds of things. And I think, I think it's making its, its way, I think it's making its way in there. I think, uh, I think certainly the leaders, the visionaries are headed in that direction. I think that the, the current visionaries are really headed in that direction i also think it's the it's a driving force behind startups mm -hmm. can't agree more well marisa you've given us so much to think about and really prompted a lot of thought and i know people are going to want to learn more so where can we connect with you and learn more about what you're doing wonderful um open channel culture is my is my company openchannelculture.com one word uh, or went, you know, all put to, strung together. Uh, and you can see my work there. I have my papers that I've written, papers I've written for conferences, papers I've written, uh, the, the things like the recommended standards, uh, my talks, my videos, the talks, the TED Talk, other talks that I've done are all on that. Um, and they can certainly connect with me on LinkedIn because that is uh, one of my biggest conduits, LinkedIn um, at Marisa Zalabak. Yeah. Fantastic. We'll put all those links in the show notes for sure. Marisa Zalabak has been our guest. Marisa, can't thank you enough. I mean, as an educator of adaptive leaders, an expert in AI ethics, and a new term I've learned today that I'm going to embrace, a dedicated optimist. <laughs> oh, so, God, watch out. Here we yeah, go. <laughs> look out, because I'm dedicated. I've always been an optimist, but now I'm dedicated, and so I, I'm unstoppable, really. Okay, Mark, <laughs> I have to ask for our audience, what song goes with that? Mark loves music, just so we know. What, what, a, what a dedicated song? optimist? Yes. I can see clearly now. I mean, I, 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 I could, <laughs> we don't have enough time in this podcast for me to go riffing on my playlist on optimism. <laughs> but Marisa, glad to have your knowledge, but also your uh, spirit, your attitude, and your work represented on our program. Can't thank you enough. It was an absolute pleasure. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. You bet. Listeners, come back again next time. We'll continue conversations with IntelliKey leaders and people who are helping train and advise 
the next generation of IntelliKey leaders. Because as we've often said, Kirsten, I don't know if we're a spirituality podcast in the management category or a management podcast that doesn't mind talking about spirituality, but we, we have a nice Venn diagram and I think we want to continue that. Absolutely, absolutely, well, it's a blessing. For Kirsten Goldie, I'm Mark Stenson, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn and visit our website, pureintellikey.com. I'm Jared Kajak. Join us again for our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host two other podcasts you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity and Five Minutes of Peace. Subscribe today and leave a review on your favorite podcast player.